أبي نجيح الإرباض بن سارية رضي الله عنه عن أبي نجيح الإرباض بن سارية رضي الله عنه قال وعذنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم موعظة وجلت منها القلوب وظرفت منه العيون فقلنا يا رسول الله كأن كأنها موعظة مودع فأوصنا قال أوصيكم بتقوى الله والسمع والطاعة وإن تأمر عليكم عبد وإنه من يعيش منكم فسيرى اختلافا كثيرا فعليكم بسنتي وسنة الخلفاء الراشدين المهديين عضوا عليها بالنواجذ وإياكم محدثات الأمور فإن كل بدعة ضلالة رواه أبو داود والترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح الحمد لله brothers and sisters we're continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi رحمه الله and as we mentioned previously these ahadith Imam al-Nawawi compiled these are supposed to be the fundamental principles on which the teachings of Islam are established. They are the fundamental principles on which is Islam is uh, uh, laid upon. So just as you know, you have various different principles and founda foundational teachings, every single one of the hadith in this book is a fundamental principle of Islam. So any hadith that you pick from this compilation, the objective of Imam al-Nawawi in this book was to say that when you take this hadith, this tells you something very, very important and fundamental about your religion. So the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, all Muslims should be acquainted with this hadith. If you memorize them, even better, if you can't memorize them, to at least to know like the concept, to know like, you know when you've read a book before, or like you've done history, or you've done, you know, math. Like if I were to tell you decimals, okay, you know, okay, what is a decimal? You fractions, okay, you know, this, what is a fraction? So in this book, if you have not memorized the hadith, you have to know these concepts. Muhammad? have to be quiet okay listen this you have to listen over here so there are certain principles that I see you know random Muslims generally they're completely uh, ignorant of those general principles and concepts and fundamental uh, you know objective of, his, of, of Islam so that the purpose of these ahadith is exactly that that they give you what are the principles of the deen that no Muslim should be unaware and ignorant of these things. So in my understanding, the, the things that are mentioned in this kitab, in this book, in this compilation, this is not for scholars. This is not for you know, people that are muftis or sheikhs or scholars. This is common knowledge. Everybody should know this. And you know, we have a dilemma. We have a lot of issues, you know, problems in the Muslim community and you know, a lot of widespread ignorance and people giving fatwas from their own pocket and you know various different types of uh, you know misunderstandings and misconceptions because people don't know the very basic people like to talk for, for politics and people like to talk philosophy but they don't know even the basic fundamentals of the deen so this beautiful compilation of imam al-nawawi is qawaidul islam al-qawaidul lati bana alayhi al-islam those simple 
fundamentals upon which Islam is based upon. So if I were to mention the concept, this hadith, the concept of this hadith is the importance of adhering to the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The importance of adhering to the way of the Prophet and the companions. This is, the, this is a very, very fundamental principle in Islam. And I'm going to get to that just when we get to it. But if I were to give you a theme, what is the theme of this hadith? It is the importance of adhering to the way of the Prophet and the companions. Okay? And I'm going to get to why this is important. So the narrator of this hadith, remember, every hadith has a narrator. Somebody who heard it. It was a companion. He heard this message from the Prophet ﷺ. He preserved it and he conveyed it. And remember that the companions, عنهم, when they heard the words of the Prophet, these words were not like just anybody listening to any word. It was like literally a journalist sitting and taking note of something that a person says. But even a journalist, you can say that you know, they'll add here and there. The Sahaba, عنهم, when they heard the words of the Prophet ﷺ, just like they preserved the Qur'an, they preserved the words of the Prophet ﷺ. This is another big mistake that people make, is they think that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ was made by mullah 100 years later or 200 years later. People just made stuff up. And this is absolutely not true. Because the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith, he mentions that don't write my hadith. He said this in Makkah. He said, don't write my hadith. And then after when they went to Medina Munawar, I said, now you may write the hadith. Because there was a time when the Prophet ﷺ was making a system that every single thing that he was saying, they were adding his word along with the word of the Qur'an. So the Prophet ﷺ wanted there to be a system where you can differentiate. So the Prophet ﷺ dedicated that there were certain people that were writing the hadith and there were separate people that were writing the verses of the Qur'an. Once that system was established, and once this, you differentiate between those who are the writing down the ayat of the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ would tell them, this ayat and this, you know, verses that have been revealed to me, this is from surah so-and-so, ayat so-and-so, you place it in such-and-such such place in the Qur'an. To that extent, to that detail, the Prophet ﷺ would say that this ayat that was just revealed to me, this is from, for example, surah al-shu'ara or surah al-baqarah. And take it and put it in this place. Put it after, for example, Ayatul Kursi or whatever. The Prophet ﷺ actually, he ordered the, mess the, 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 the Sahaba that take these ayat that have been revealed to me right now and place it in this particular surah. Place it at this particular uh, juz of the Qur'an. Once the Prophet ﷺ went in Medina and there was a proper, you can say, system that was established, then he said, okay, now you may write from me. You may write the hadith from me. One time... <clears throat> Abu Hurairah came to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I hear many things from you, but I forget it. So make dua for me, that I don't forget what you tell me. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, Okay, spread out your shawl. Spread out your shawl. So Hassan, spread out your shawl. Open it. So he told Abu Hurairah was wearing something like this. He said, spread out your shawl. Brother Jesus, over there. Put it on the ground. So the Prophet ﷺ said, spread out your shawl. And he put it on the ground like this. And the Prophet ﷺ, he read something. He was reciting something. And he blowed in his hands. And he put his hands on the shawl like this. 
And he said, now wear the shawl. Wear it. So then he wore it just like this. And then Abu Huraira said, after that, I never forgot what the Prophet ﷺ said. I never forgot a single hadith of the Prophet. How are there people now saying that, oh, hadith came, you know, so many years after, when we have clear historical proof that there was companions that would actually memorize, and they came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to memorize the words that you say, and I memorize a lot of it, but I forget it. So then the Prophet did this, showing that he accepted this action, and he encouraged this action, and it was actually sanctioned by the Prophet himself. The preservation of hadith was sanctioned by the Prophet. It was taught by the Prophet, and it was blessed by the Prophet. You understand what I'm saying? So, every hadith begins with a narrator. And the narrator of the hadith is kind of like a code to that hadith. It tells us something. For example, if Abu Bakr narrates a hadith, Abu Bakr was the most senior companion. He was the best friend of the Prophet. He was the first Muslim, you can say, from amongst the men. Now when he narrates something, you can see that there's a certain level of authority, there's a certain level of you know, fiqh, there's a certain level of you know, uh, jurisprudence. There's a jurisprudence in there. There's a fiqh in there. There's a higher level of... And then for example, you have Hudhaifat ibn al-Yaman. Hudhaifat ibn al-Yaman, he said that I would ask the Prophet about the signs of the end of time. People would ask the Prophet about all the good things, and then they said, they said, Oh, Hudayfa, the people always ask the Prophet about good things. You always ask about the bad things. The bad things meaning the, 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 you know, the occurrences, the happenings, the calamities, the tribulations. You know, the ahwal qiyamah. Why do you do that? He said, I want to know about it so that I do not fall into it. So I recognize it when it comes and I'm able to protect myself and others. So you'll see all the signs, all the ahadith that have to do with the signs of the Day of Judgment. They're narrated by Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman. Anyways, so like this, you have various different companions who had various different types of like focus. So here, Abu Najih, Arbad ibn al-Sariyah, radiyallahu anhu, he narrates this hadith. And who was he? He was min ashab al-Suffa. He was from the poor companions who was literally Ashab al-Suffa, they're homeless. Their home was the doorstep of the Prophet The Prophet had a veranda in front of his blessed home. And that veranda which was attached to the masjid and to the house of the Prophet there was equal to some 20 to 30 to 40 to sometimes even 80 companions that would be staying there. And they were dedicated to the service of Islam and they were students of knowledge and they were people who were poor and dedicated fully to just the you know the Prophet and learning and teaching that's it so Irbad ibn Sariyah was from amongst Ashab al-Suffa they were a very special group of companions who were poor and their whole life was dedicated if the Prophet said go and go into this battle and fight for the sake of Allah they would be in the battle if the Prophet said, you know, come with me, I'm going, they would travel with the Prophet wherever he went. So these were, they called Ashab al-Suffa. Also, he was known as Ahadul Bakka'in. 
Ahadul Bakka'in. He was one of those who was Bakka. He would cry in the love of Allah Azza wa Jal. He used to shed tears when listening to the Quran or when you know reciting uh, uh, the, the book of Allah Azza wa Jal or remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yaqulu fi du'aihi kabirat sinni wa wahana azmi faqbidni ilayk. One of his prayers that they have recorded from him is that he would say, Oh Allah, I have become advanced in age and my bones have become weak. So, Oh Allah, take me to you. Others say he was the fourth Muslim to have ever accepted and embraced Islam. The fourth Muslim, Irbad ibn Sariyah. So, he's from the Muhajireen. He was from amongst the earliest of companions. He was from the ascetic worshippers dedicated to worship of Allah Ta'ala day and night. He used to say, and look at his sincerity. He says, if it wasn't for the fear that people are going to say, oh, look at what Abu Najih did, look at what he did. I'm afraid that people are going to point fingers and say, oh, he did this and that. I don't, want the sh- I don't want the fame. I don't want people to start saying things about me and I'm starting to become famous. Right? He says, If it wasn't for people saying about me, Abu Najih did this and that, then I would have given all my wealth in the path of Allah and I would have left myself empty, bankrupt. I would make myself bankrupt for the sake of Allah. The only thing I fear is people are going to point fingers and say, oh, look, look at what he did. And that's, that's not good for me. I don't want to try to make myself, you know, known. I'm not trying to put myself out there. And then I would have went to one of the empty valleys of Lebanon. Empty valleys of Lebanon was a place where basically it was empty. There was no settlements there. There was no people living there. There was no villages there. It's just empty valley in Lebanon, meaning this was under Tahtarayat al-Islam at that time. It was under the, 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 the hukumah of the Muslims. But he says that I would go to this empty valley, I would give all my wealth for the sake of Allah, and I would go to one of these empty valleys, and hatta amut, and I would worship Allah until I die. That's what I would do. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because... Right? I'm not trying to like put myself out there and the people are going to say, oh, look at this and look at that person. Look at what he wished that he could do, but he didn't. For the sake of this, that his heart might become, right? His heart might become blemished with riya and with show and with arrogance and with saying that, you know, I am better than other people or I've become famous for this, that, and the other. He passed away in Sham in the 75th year of Hijrah. So he lived for a pretty long time. 75th year of Hijrah, he passed away. And he was known to narrate 31 hadith from the Prophet. In other words, these hadith. Each companion was in charge of a specific hadith. He said, I have 30 hadiths that I heard from the Prophet. And these are known that I have narrated it and I heard it and I narrated it. So he would become the authority in that hadith. 
So Irbad ibn Sariya is the authority in this hadith. He says, وَعَظَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was admonishing us, giving us mawidah, giving us waaz, and nasiha, and advice. And it mentions in one narration, بَعْدَ صَلَاتِ subh After the Fajr prayer, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was advising the companions, mawidatan, and the Prophet sallallahu was giving an admonition. In one narration it says, mawidatan baligatan, a very eloquent speech the Prophet was giving. The hearts were trembling from the words of the Prophet and the eyes were shedding tears from these words of the Prophet. From this, the ulama mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would not only tell people about what's halal and haram, that this is good and that is bad and this is permissible and that is not permissible. The Prophet would speak about things that would move the hearts of his companions. He wouldn't just talk about ahkam. Fiqh, right? Do this or don't do that. So this is, you know, uh, Fajr prayer is two rakats fard and two rakats sunnah. And, you know, like, the, you know, just speaking about the rules and regulations. It wasn't just that. The, the Prophet ﷺ would move his companions. He would motivate his companions. Sallallahu alayhi wa Wajilat minha al The hearts were trembling from the speech of the Prophet ﷺ. And the eyes were shedding tears from the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّهَا مَوْعِضَةُ مُوَدِّعٍ Oh Messenger of Allah, it is as if this is a farewell speech. You're talking to us like this is a farewell speech. Like you're gonna say goodbye to us. فَأَوْصِنَا So since you're in the mood, give us more advice. You know, sometimes you get really high Sometimes you get, you get in the mood of saying something and it's just coming and coming and coming. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, give us more advice. Tell us more. فَأَوْصِنَا From this, we learn a very important point and that is to seek advice, to seek guidance. This is from the sunnah of the Sahaba radiallahu To have somebody that we are connected to from the shayukh, from the people who are righteous, from the people who have knowledge. And then we go to them and say, Awsina, give us advice. Taking advice and having somebody who gives you advice, my dear brothers and sisters and honorable listeners, this is a great blessing of Allah, to have somebody in your life that gives you advice. Sayyidina Shu'aib salam, he says in the Quran, he said that, وَلَكِنْ لَا تُحِبُّونَ النَّاصِحِينَ he said, Oh my tribe, oh my people, I am advising you. I am advising you, I am admonishing you, but you don't love those who admonish. Showing that one of the sifat of the kuffar, one of the qualities of those people who become destroyed, the qawm of Shu'aib were destroyed. He said, I am giving you nasiha, but you don't love those who advise you. You should love those people who advise you. We should love people who advise us. And you know, when we're growing up and we're young, we don't like anybody to tell us anything. And this is a sign of ignorance and is a sign of short-sightedness. The greatest blessing, I say in my life, 
the greatest blessing that I had, I had too many people who advised me. Too many. Allah took away my father when I was six months old. He gave me six other people on top of me that everyone was giving me their own nasiha. And it was the greatest blessing that I could have in my life. Allah took away one, my father, but he gave me three uncles. Every single uncle had given me like life advice that I still remember to this day. And my grandfather, whose whole everything was his life. And my grandmother and all the other shuyukh and mashayikh and ulama that we have. But I, my point was, to have somebody to give you advice in this world is the greatest blessing. And I think that I was thinking to myself, maybe everybody has that, but everybody doesn't. Everybody doesn't have somebody to give them good advice. I was thinking because I used to get bombarded all the time yani of good advice. Because when you're a kid, you think it's getting bombarded. But it is not bombardment. This is the most beautiful thing that you have somebody. My son, this is not good for you. This is harmful for you. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't hang out with these kids. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't do that. Ah, these people are on my case. No. This is, the, this is the most beneficial thing you can have in your life. This is short-sightedness. This is foolishness. This is childishness. And that is why, subhanAllah, this, the, the Qur'an is beautiful. If you, if, you, if you ponder, look at what Shaydna Shu'aib is saying. وَأَنصَحُ لَكُمْ Oh my people, do you know who I am? I am, I am a messenger from your Lord and I am your advisor. I care about you. وَلَكِنْ لَا تُحِبُّونَ النَّاصِحِينَ but how unfortunate you are, you don't love the advisors. You don't love people who give you good advice in life. Wallahi, this is the greatest thing that is missing. My Shaykh, Hazrat Mawlana Qamr al-Zaman, Hafizahullah, when I visited him in India, he said something very beautiful. He said, people ask me, how did you become such a person that all the ulama now are being connected with you? All the ulama are coming to you. He's 87 years old now. He's a very great Shaykh. He's the Shaykh of Mashaykh. He's the Shaykh of Shaykhs. He says, let me tell you why. He said, because I made everyone my teacher. Everyone was my teacher. If my brother told me something, I said, yes, my brother is giving me some advice. Wallahi, I would say something. You know what the Shaykh would say to me? 87-year-old Shaykh would say, he said, Maulana, bayan me fayda hua? Bayan se fayda hua? Did you, did you benefit from my bayan? Did I have any mistake that I mentioned? If you tell me, that would be really great. Did you benefit? Oh, so this is from Allah that you benefited. Alhamdulillah. What the? How is he asking me? Did you benefit from my bayan? Does any shaykh say that? Did you benefit from my bayan? You find any mistake that I made? Oh, the fact that you benefited, it's a very great blessing that you benefited. Alhamdulillah, shukr. Shukr that people are benefiting. They, they tell me this is good. I don't know if I'm speaking good, but people are telling me that it's good. Subhanallah. And he said this, he said, I made everybody my teacher. Whoever it was, even if they're younger than me, even if they're younger than me, even if they're my peers. You know, we don't like to hear things from our peers, from our contemporary. Who are you, man? You're just, you're, you graduated same year that I graduated. You came out of the same school I came out from. You're same age as me. Who are you to tell me? No. My sheikh told me the story of how he was with Mahaki Maktar. He said, Mahaki Maktar Sabi, he said, he said I, I made him my teacher. And then when people asked me, how did you become the Shaykh of Shaykhs? I said, Har kuja pastis ab anjarawat. This is what I, he said it in Farsi. I told them the reason why I became the Shaykh of Shaykhs now, I don't know if I am, but if people come to me, this is the reason they come to me. Har kuja pastis ab anjarawat. Wherever there is an incline, 
wherever there is an incline or is a decline decline wherever there's a decline that is where the water goes when downhill water flows downhill water doesn't flow uphill he said I made myself downhill and that's why everything comes to me now don't make yourself uphill make yourself downhill I made myself downhill how could you pastist water goes up or water goes down water goes down I made myself down yani I humbled myself so this is a very important point what the Sahabi is saying that we learn فَأَوْسِنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَوْسِنَا give me wasiyah give me advice getting advice from someone and then there's other people nobody should give me advice I'm above advice I'm above advice don't tell me I know I heard this already this is the person who will never be successful he will never be fortunate he will never get anywhere the one who is ready to hear advice the one who is ready to make everyone his teacher Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu he said something amazing we should all learn from this he said rahimallahu abdan rahimallahu abdan ahda ilayya uyubi may Allah have mercy on that slave on that person that he gifts to me my shortcomings may Allah have mercy on that person who gifts me and he, the one who tells me my mistakes he is gifting me something otherwise if somebody doesn't tell me this is your mistake how am I ever gonna correct it then I stay my whole life deficient I stay my whole life with shortcomings how am I ever gonna perfect myself and this is what life is about brothers and sisters our life is about perfecting ourselves becoming the best version of yourself Allah made you with the potential Allah made every single one of us with the potential that you can become subhanallah something amazing but what it is we we we, we embrace our mistakes we embrace our shortcomings we say this is me nobody has a right to tell me anything I do it none of your business this none of your business is not in our deen None of your business is not in our deen. There is something in our deen called Amr bil ma'roof wa nahyan in munkar. To enjoin the good and to forbid the evil. This none of your business is not an Islamic concept. Mind your own business. But you, you, the, when, 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 I were, when, when if I were to say somebody's gonna fall inside of a well, somebody's gonna go inside and fall in a ditch. One of these beautiful young children, MashaAllah wa tabarakallah, if they're going to strip and fall, and I grab them and say, oh, none of my business, it's not my kid. None of my business. No, I take him. He is mine. This is, this is our beloved children. Not say, oh, none of my business. What would the father say? If you say, none of my business, I don't care if your son fell down the stairs and tripped and fell. Now, I'm going to grab him. I want you to grab my son. Why didn't you grab my son? Just like we would want someone to protect our harim, to protect our awlad, to protect our children. Why would we want somebody to protect our deen? You see somebody falling in his deen, and it's in none of your business. If somebody dropped their wallet, somebody dropped their wallet when they're getting inside their car, oh, excuse me, brother, hey, you dropped your wallet. Hey, none of your business, leave it there. Don't tell me. Tell me that I dropped my wallet. 
So if somebody were to drop their iman, it's because iman doesn't have value. Because that wallet has value, we want somebody to tell us. I want you to tell me when my wallet drops because that's money. If I drop my credit card or if I drop my debit card somewhere, I want you to tell me. But if somebody drops their iman, don't tell me. Mind your own business because you don't value iman. If you value your iman like you value your credit card, if you value your iman like you value your wallet, then if somebody, when you're dropping it, somebody tell you, hey man, you're dropping your deen, bro. You're dropping in your deen. You need to pick it up. You need to get yourself back on track. So here, the Prophet والسلام, is saying, فَأَوْصِنَا O Messenger of Allah, advise us. Getting advice is one of the most beautiful things that a person can have in this world. To have somebody that can advise you. There's nothing better than that. So never ever look at someone. When you, when you find this quality that you don't like advice, you don't like somebody telling you, then this is, means that you're being controlled by your slower desires. You're not trying to become better. You know? The Prophet then said, I advise you and I admonish you to have the fear and consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sharah mentioned that this is from the comprehensiveness of the speech of the Prophet. Because taqwa is, is everything under the, everything under the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the umbrella of Islam falls under the category of taqwa. Because taqwa means to be conscious of Allah at all times. So the first thing the Prophet ﷺ said, أُوصِيكُمْ بِتَقْوَى Allah." I advise you, I advise you to be conscious of Allah, to be aware of Allah Azza wa And this advice, subhanAllah, this is the advice that Allah gave to all of the previous people. The greatest advice if we want to know what was the first advice that was ever ever given by anyone, to anyone, this was the first advice. You guys ready for this ayah of Quran? This is the advice, the first wasiyah that was given by Allah to the first of the, 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 the people of God, Bani Israel. The first people of God was Bani Israel. What was the advice that was given to them? This was the first advice that was given to all humanity. Listen to this. وَلَقَدْ وَصَّيْنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ أَنِ اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ Isn't this the first commandment? The first commandment is, O children of Israel, fear thy God. Right? O children, take, do not take any gods besides God. Fear, fear your Lord. Right? Something like that. So this is Allah's Azza wa Jal, Surah An-Nisa, Ayat number 131. The first advice that was given by Allah to those who were given the book, to those who were His people from before, and to you, O Muhammad this is the advice that we gave to the previous ummah, and the advice that we give to your ummah. If anybody knows what's the first wasiyah, the first nasiha. What's the way, first of all, what's the difference between wasiyah and nasiha? Ahbab al-Arab, what's the difference between wasiyah and nasiha? Is very close meaning. Right. And wasiyah is? Both of them are advice. So, al-wasiyah 
هي النصيحة التي يكون في يعني خطورة كبيرة يعني المرء يوصي في آخر وقت الحياة يعني في آخر لمحات الحياة الإنسان يوصي right at the end of a person's life he does wasiyah he gives right this last advice this is what you call wasiyah Brother Tahir, I know you. We'll help help him. Somebody give him a yeah. Yeah, help him. Hidajan, help him. He's our he's our brother. Yes. So a wasiya, a will is is what they do, Yani. They give they give a a wasiya is a bequeathing, a bequest. So it's something that a person does before he passes away. And that's why wasiya is a advice that a person gives as a last, like a farewell. So and nasiha is general advice. Wasiya is very specific advice. So this is why they said, Ausina, kitab. We made wasiya. Yani we gave a very serious admonition. Nasiha is general. Nasiha you give to a kid. See how you give to, you know, a student. But wasiya is something grand. Yani fihi khutura. Yani seriousness. <clears throat> so Allah Azza wa Jal gave this first of the advices. ولما كان الظاهر من التقوى أن يكون فيما بينه وبين الله. So after Allah Azza wa Jal, after the Prophet mentions the wasiya of taqwa, now he is mentioning the advice of as-sam'a wa ta'a. قال أوصيكم بتقوى الله والسمع والطاعة. I advise you to be conscious and aware of Allah and to listen and to obey. وإن تأمر عليكم عبد even if there is a 
slave that is made an Amir above you. Even if a slave is made a leader on top of you, somebody that you don't even want to listen to, somebody who you think is not even worthy to listen to, but if he is elected and he is appointed, then you should listen and obey. Why? This is a, such an amazing advice of the Prophet ﷺ that if somebody becomes an Amir, if somebody becomes your leader, then arguing with this person and fighting with this person and disobeying this person, all it is going to do is lead to fitna. All it is going to lead is lead to fighting. All of it is going to lead to lead to problem. So if somebody is appointed, like in the masjid, somebody says right now, okay brothers, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to tell uh, Dr. Salim, he's just going to give the talk. Now what do you guys, when I leave, there's nobody going to listen to him. Now what's that going to do? That's going to make everything fall apart. That's going to make all of this whole program completely fall apart. So by listening to that person, even though it said, oh, but he's not Sheikh Tamim, or he's not Sheikh, or he doesn't know Arabic properly, but I, I appointed this person, and I just had the emergency, and he's just going to read something, everybody should just obey and listen. Because if you don't, what happens? Things fall apart. And here... The ulama mentioned such a beautiful thing that what the Prophet ﷺ is saying here, this is a very, very tremendously wise advice of many fitnas that are going to come in later times. A lot of people have heard Yazid ibn Muawiyah. He was a very big like oppressor and zalim. But the people, because he did not talk outside of Islam, he didn't stop people from prayer, he didn't stop people from zakah, he didn't stop people from... They just listen and they obey. Because fighting and bloodshed, this is fitna. The Prophet ﷺ mentions, or Allah says in the Quran, that mischief and infighting is worse than death, that there should be constant fitna. Right? Constant fitna. This is, this is the worst thing that can happen. So, when there's corruption and there's facade and then there's disagreements and and you know argumentation and infighting, right? This is this is the worst thing out of all. So the Prophet ﷺ he said to obey, to listen, and listening and obey even as long as the person is not stopping the people from prayer. A person is not talking against the command of Allah Azza wa Jalla. A person is not telling you to do sin or commit sin. As long as the Amir or the Khalifa is not telling the people or commanding the people to do sin, then whoever that Amir is, you have to obey them. And why is this? Is because there is something that is fitna. There is something that is harmful. That fitna and that you know, argument and that disagreement amongst the people and infighting amongst the people this is the worst thing and any one of you who remain alive after them after me the Prophet said any one of you oak my companions who live to see after me and this is another uh, prophecy of the Prophet والسلام, that you follow taqwa and you obey the ulul amr, whoever it is and you're going to see, if you live after me, you're going to see a lot of fitan, you're going to see 
a lot of ikhtilaf. You're going to see a lot of differences of opinion and argumentation. فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ Then follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafai Rashidin. Follow the sunnah of the rightly guided Khulafa. And here the Prophet ﷺ has given us such a beautiful advice that a very important principle of the deen is the sunnah. There was a, a very interesting clip that I saw. It was a, a gathering of rabbis talking about why you have Muslims who follow Islam and why it is not possible for us to change it. It was, a, it was just a really astonishing clip. So these rabbis are sitting, and one of the rabbis, he's explaining, he's saying, as long as these Muslims, they are following something they call the sunnah and the hadith, then you cannot put in their religion different interpretation. Because the hadith and the sunnah specifies that interpretation that it, it, will, it will rule out all other false interpretations. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, Muslims who don't want to pray, they said, well, nowhere in the Quran does it say salah, you know, I have to pray five times a day, so what do I do? I pray in my heart. My heart is very clean. So I, I do salat, I pray, I pray in my heart. Right. But now, you see, what is the definition of salah according to sunnah? Alaykum bi sunnati, my sunnah, the Prophet, what was the definition of salah according to the sunnah of Rasulullah? What was the definition of sunnah? What was the definition of salat? Allah Ta'ala says, Aqimus salah. Okay, Aqimus salah, establish the prayer, has not been mentioned in detail in the Quran, right? But the, every Muslim will say, the Prophet's life was the explanation of the Quran. I don't know what is salah. I don't know what is zakah. Another person will say, well, I don't need to give this zakah. What are you people talking zakah? I was driving in San Francisco and there was a homeless guy and I gave him a quarter. I paid my zakah. Yeah, no, this is, this is people do. I gave my zakah. I put my donation in the, I put my penny inside of the donation box of the masjid. I paid my zakah. Brothers and sisters, this is not zakah. What is the sunnah definition of zakah? Or other people say, I don't need to do hajj because I send money to my poor family members in Afghanistan every year. So I don't need to do hajj. What are you talking about? You don't need to do hajj. Hajj yani kalbi yak musulmana ranjnati. You need a megan hajj. Shunidi hamakata. You hear this hamaka all the time. The, the, the hajj is like you, 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 you be nice to other people and this is what Allah will love. Literally, there's people who say things like that. Even though like clear nas of the Quran goes against this. But people say stupid things like this. Why are they able to say this? Because they have distanced themselves from the sunnah. This hamaka, this foolishness, this stupidity, they fall into it because they have negated and they've distanced themselves from the sunnah. That is why the Prophet ﷺ said, Those who live after me, they're going to see all this type of ikhtilaf, all these differences, all these misunderstandings, all these misconceptions. Just go back to the sunnah. Do you know one of the, one of the tabi'een 
Sufyan ibn Uyayna. He was one of the mujtahideen, one of the tabi'een. He says, Allah Azza wa Jal said, He says, فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ So the Quran says, wash your faces and your arms up to the elbows. فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ When you stand for prayer, wash your faces and your arms up to the elbows. Listen to what Sufyan ibn Uyayna says. He says that the Quran said ilal marafiq and marafiq in the Arabic language, mirfaq, it means elbow. But he says, if we would have seen the Prophet and the Sahaba after him, that they washed their hands up to the wrists, then we would have taken washing the hand, the mirfaq to mean wrist and not elbow. Even though in the Arabic, we know that mirfaq means elbow. But if we would have saw the Prophet that he implemented this, that when he washed his hands, he did it up to the wrist, and we saw the Sahaba, mutawatiran, that they were doing the same, that they were washing their hands up to the wrist, then we would have understood that mirfaq doesn't mean elbow, it means wrist. Even though it clearly said elbow, it didn't say wrist. But we saw the Prophet that this is how he understood it, that's how he would have done it. We don't worry about what it's mentioned there. Imagine this. Imagine this. This is a very, and this is, this is not, yani, this is fardan. This is like hypothetical. If, it's not saying that, oh, this is what they do. They wouldn't even follow the word of the Quran. No, that's not what it means. What it's saying is that the definitions of the Quran, the concepts of the Quran, the practice of deen and Islam is understood only from the sunnah and from the Khulafai Rashidin al Mahdiin and the Sahaba Kiram. That's why, brothers and sisters, we are Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. What are we? This is a very important word. What you are. You have to know what you are. We're Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Some people like to call themselves, we are Ahlul Hadith. Ahlul Hadith. Batil. No, we're not Ahlul Hadith. Hadith is what? Hadith, one hadith is the Prophet stood up and he urinated. Alayhi salatu wasalam. You know, with no ajallakumullah, no, no uh, disrespect intended. This is a hadith. Are you Ahlul Hadith? Ahlul Hadith, they say the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, and this is a hadith in Bukhari. The Prophet atta sabatata qawmin faqama wa bala. Mughirat ibn Shu'ba rawa hadha al hadith in Bukhari. He says, Mughirat ibn Shu'bah narrates that the Prophet came to a dumping ground of a people and he stood up and he urinated. So Ahlul Hadith, they said, this is a Hadith, so I'm going to stand up and urinate. But brothers and sisters, we're not Ahlul Hadith. We are Ahlul Sunnah. What is the meaning? What's the difference between Hadith and Sunnah? Sunnah is Amalun mutawatirun mustamirun min al-Nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It is an action that is a continuous practice of the Prophet that he did continuously in his life. That is why in a, one narration, Aisha radiallahu anha said that if somebody were to tell you that the Prophet stood up and urinated, he is lying. But Mughirat ibn Shoba said that he stood up and urinated. So is Aisha Siddiqa saying that Mughira is lying? No. She's saying that if somebody were to tell you that this is the practice of the Prophet, that this is his amal, this is what he did all the time, and this is not right. So why did the Prophet do that? He did it bayanan lil jawaz. 
He did it to show the permissibility of this action, that you might be in a specific place where it's dirty, and if you lower yourself, your garments will become filthy. So the Prophet ﷺ did it once, and that hadith is narrated as a narration. It's an incident. Hadith is an incident. Hadith is a narration. It's something that is related to us. So now, what is Ahlul Sunnah? We take many narrations and put them together. We, we correlate them. And this is where the madhahib come in. Shafi'i and Hanafi and Maliki and Hanbali. What did they do? They brought and they created a fikrah. They created an understanding that, okay, this is a hadith, but what was the sunnah? So for example, we see Hanafis, they don't do raful yadin. I'm, I'm trying to explain that why it's under, for, important for us to understand what is sunnah in place of just a random hadith. Not, no hadith is random, but meaning like an isolated incident. And this is beautiful for us to understand the fikr that the mujtahideen and the scholars of Islam, they were hadith, they, they were desirous to know what was the sunnah, not just a hadith. Because an isolated hadith could have had many reasons. He did it because he was in a dirty place. He did it because he couldn't bend down. He did it because, you know, he was in, in, in a place that he could not, you know, lower himself or whatever the case may be. So, for example, the Hanafis that don't lift their hands, they say that this was the last thing that the Prophet ﷺ did as a continuous practice. And he left that previous continuous practice and this became his amal. This became now his methodology in prayer. So they adopted that. So my point was, is the mujtahid imams, they were hadith, they were desirous to know the sunnah. And this is why in a time when there is confusion, when we don't know what is salat, when we're trying to understand what is zakah, when we're trying to understand what is hajj, when we're trying to understand what is hukuma, when we're trying to understand what is, um, you know, any, any aspect of our religion. فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي Hold on to my sunnah. Sunnah means my practice. It doesn't necessarily mean my hadith. And that is why some people get very angry at Hanafis or they get very angry at some other people say, oh, you're not following the hadith, this is in Bukhari. It's, it's, that's right, we don't follow the hadith because we follow the sunnah. We bring together 50 hadith. Not the one hadith that's found in Bukhari, but many of them and we correlate them together and we have this body that we now follow. So you see what I'm saying? So it's very important to understand differences as well at a larger sense of the matter and at a lesser as well, like in our daily practices, right? In our daily fiqh, in our prayer, in our, but also in our concepts of what is salat, what is hajj, what is this, what is the reality, marriages between a man and a woman, you know, these, <laughs> these matters. These are confusions. Unfortunately, Muslims are confused about this. Muslims are being confused about this. What is marriage? Marriage is between, you know. خَلَقَكُم مِّن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدَةٍ وَجَعَلَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا Allah created man and woman. Allah created one soul and then from that He created its partner which is a woman. And from those one man and woman, you have many men and women. 
Rijalan kathiran wa nisaan. It didn't say bain bain and you know all these other things. Many, many women and many, many men came from this man and woman. It didn't say three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all these other LBGTQRSTUV it came out from that. Quran is very clear. Allah created man, and from that, Allah created the woman, and from that man and woman, Rijalan kathiran wa nisaan. Not wa LBGTN. And all this other an and ban and tan and shan. All these other things didn't come out from that. Rijalan kathiran wa Rijalan wa nisaan. This is very, very clear, but Muslims are confused about this. You can't talk about it. You're bad if you talk. We're going to talk about it. Just like you have the right to talk about it, we're going to talk about it. We talk about what we believe in, you talk about what you believe in. And this is the haq. This is what we believe. You don't believe it? Go do whatever you want to do. We don't believe it and we do what we do. And we have proof. We have Quran. We have a guidance. We have a book. We have a way. So, and the Sunnah, here the Prophet is also saying the way that was established by the Khulafai Rashidin. Hold on to it with your back molars. In other words, hold on to it firmly because this is, the, this is what defines your deen. SubhanAllah, when I heard that rabbi, he's saying this. The rabbi is saying that if they follow the Sunnah, you cannot distort their religion. If these people follow the way of their Prophet, they have Bukhari and Muslim and the Hadith and the Sunnah, then you will not be able to distort their religion. Take that away from them and you can just make up whatever you want to make up. And this is exactly what is happening. So my brothers and sisters, beware of this. Those people who put doubt in Hadith and they put doubt in the Sunnah, they are the, this is the first step of dis destroying the religion. Remember, Hadith Understand that this is the first step to the destruction of deen, and it has become so common in the in the in the Afghan, especially in our community. In the Afghan community, seventy percent of the people don't believe in hadith. This is the first step. The next generation, they're gone. We have to understand that La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Muhammadur Rasulullah is Sunnah is necessary for us to follow. That is what defines our religion. Here is a Yahudi saying to you that it's very simple. Take away the hadith, take away the sunnah, and the religion can be anything that you want it. You could just mold it like putty. You can mold it like Play-Doh. You can make it whatever you want to make it. You can make it Christianity. You can make it Judaism. You can make it liberal. And it's becoming like a liberal joke. Islam for certain people is like a liberal joke. People wear hijab now. What is the hijab? The hijab is just a feminist statement. It doesn't mean anything. Hijab is not haya. You have hijabis that are dancing in gay parades. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any meaning to it. So may Allah Ta'ala protect us from these things. And avoid all of these newly invented things that go opposite to the sunnah. What is a newly invented thing? What is a bid'ah? Anything that doesn't have a basis in the Quran and the sunnah. This is outside of the fold of Islam. As a, outside of the fold of our religion. You know, people say, you know, why do Muslims argue about everything? This is permissible, this is not permissible. One sheikh is saying this, one sheikh. This is a blessing in and of itself. Why is this a blessing? Why don't we have Halloween in Islam? Somebody explain to me. Yeah. 
That's one reason. But why it did not come into Islam? Why did it come into Christianity? Because they don't have a concept of bid'ah. Why we don't allow it is because it wasn't from the practice of our Prophet. We have this concept of bid'ah that does not allow outside elements to come into our religion. Where did Santa Claus come from? Where did this stuff come from? In the religion, right? Where did Christmas come from? In the religion. It was nothing part of Jesus' you know, way. Yeah, or Easter Bunny or all these things. And now people in Afghanistan, they're, they're having hernias. Why they're not letting us to lift up the flag on the day of Eid? Lift up the flag on the grave of, you know, who are so-and-so. They're lifting up flags. Janda bolo kadan. We didn't lift up the flag. Putting up the flag on a grave that we, who knows if that even exists. Is there a grave there or no? Lifting up flags on top of graves. And it was put to an end. Because the see, it. My point is that is like an Easter bunny stuff that came into Islam. And people are very, very angry about it. Whereas this is the reason why we have the concept of bid'ah. The Prophet said the worst thing is bid'ah. Why is it the worst thing? It's because it's bringing into the religion something that is not of it. And if you allow that, then what happens? After a hundred years, after a thousand years, that religion will not be what the Prophet came with. It will have become completely something else. Subhanallah, Shah Waliullah Muhaddis Dehlawi, he mentioned something amazing. He said, why did Allah make the Hajj Fard once in a lifetime? This is amazing. He said, so people from all around the world, people from India, people from China, people from Africa will come to a central place so that there will not be an African Islam and there will not be a, you know, Afghan Islam and there will not be a Chinese Islam. Hajj was made Fard so all the mashayikh used to come together in that center and they would meet with one another. Mullah Ali Qari, the author of this sharh, he was from Herat, Afghanistan, but he was in Makkah Mukarramah. His shuyukh was from Makkah Mukarramah. Many great scholars of Islam, they met in Makkah and Medina, they, they came. So people would go away, they would come back and meet and this would preserve Islam from becoming something totally outside, like, you know, completely messed up elements would come into the religion. That is the way how deen was preserved. We have this concept of bid'ah in Islam so that this deen till this day, and that's why many of the arguments we see amongst the scholars, at first they would bother us. Now it doesn't bother me. They say, hey, Shaykh, you know the hadith you mentioned? This is a da'if hadith. I said, jazakallah khair. You know, this is good because you're scrutinizing. You don't want something to come into the religion that is not of the religion. This is good. We want this. People say, oh, Muslim sheikhs are always arguing with one another. Why are they arguing? Because they don't want foreign elements in their religion. They don't want outside things in their religion. They want it to be pure. They don't want Hinduism in Islam. You go to some places, it's like Hinduism. They go to the grave of a, of a, of a sheikh. You know, it looks like a, it looks like a wathan. It looks like an idol. And they're prostrating on the idol and it's flowers and it's a you know, chadar and all this, and they put their head under it, and they have a guy, he's blessing you with a jaru, you know, on your head, and then they, yeah, 
What did this become? It's, it's, it's Hinduism, but in the form of Islam. You go to a Hindu temple, it's just an idol, and here it's a grave. Almost exact. Why this is why we have this concept of bid'ah subhanallah so that we wouldn't fall into that. This is what the Prophet ﷺ came. And that is why we have this pure deen that we can say that 1400 years ago, we have the deen. Whether people do it or not do it, that's a different issue. But the point is, is that we have that pure religion still preserved out from, from all these other foreign elements till this day. All of these newly invented things that is not from the Sunnah or the Quran is a misguidance. May Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq to understand what has been said. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah.